0: Uh, Anyway, I I know that many of you have heard, some of you may not have, but my mom had a stroke this week. She had one on Tuesday and uh, we took her to the ER and um, she had, you know, obviously been dealing with, uh, she's pretty disoriented. Uh, her, Her face, her mouth had dropped, her speech was slurred. Uh, it wasn't a, a, a major severe one, but uh, anytime you have a stroke, it's severe, and it's major, but it, it obviously could have been a lot worse. Uh, they shipped her to uh, Somerset. We stayed there for about 12 hours, and uh, they were going to have to do a MRI with a contrast, but when they got ready to do that, you know, they found out that the dye they were going to use, she had the allergy for. So we had to move her from there to, uh, to UK, and she'd been at UK, uh, they determined that she, she, her, her, the right side of her carotid artery on the right side was about 30% smaller than uh, normal persons, and that there was a piece of plaque that had broken off and had been the cause of the, uh, of the uh, stroke within itself, but while we were there, um, I made a couple of posts on Facebook, and, you know, all kinds of people have, have called, and they've texted, and they sent messages just saying, you know, checking on mom, and, and uh, letting them know that they were thinking about her. So I was talking to her, and I said, uh, I said, Mom, I said, there's, there's over 175 people saying that they're praying for you right now. Well, it absolutely tickled her to death. I mean, I mean, it, I mean it, and then I made the mistake of saying that. 15, every 15 minutes, she said, how many is done it now? <laughs> every 15, how, how, many, how many we got now going? How, how many we got now going? But it, it, it tickled her to death, but uh, I said all that just to say thank you. And, and believe it or not, sometimes you think maybe uh, a phone call or just, you know, uh, uh, asking about somebody's not big of a deal. But I can promise you this much, to her and to us, it was an extremely big deal. And she's, uh, she's, she's thought about that, and she's asked me about it about every single day. We moved her to... Uh, 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 Cardinal Hill yesterday where she'll be doing rehab for about a couple of weeks Pray for her, she's got her movement back But she's still really, really weak And uh, scared her some But uh, uh, in in all, you know, in, in overall of everything that you think about uh, She was very fortunate that it wasn't worse than what it was, amen So thank you very much, we appreciate that, we love you guys um, If you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalms chapter 139 and then we're going to flip over to Genesis chapter number one. Last week, we, we kicked off a new sermon series called Soul Prints, and we talked about three things. And, you know, I, I believe last week's message was, was a, 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 a very important message. If you weren't here, uh, I think it'll be up and available on uh, the podcast. Uh, we talked about three things. We talked about the uniqueness of the soul, how that... Every person here, God created every person as a one-of-a-kind original. That, that you are unique and that there's nobody else on earth like you. We talked about how much God was involved in the design of you. How, how much thought and intent God put in, into you when he was creating you to, to be alive today. And, and we talked about how that, uh, that everybody has a, a, a unique uh, voice print. That, that nobody has a voice like yours on the earth. And, and we talked about how, how why that's important when it comes to worship. You know, God wants his people when they come together to corporately worship him because he's listening for the voice of his child. Everybody has a unique voice. Nobody has a voice like yours. Then we talked about how that... Uh, uh, no, uh, that everybody had a unique fingerprint. You know, out of, out of almost 8 billion people on the planet, nobody has the same fingerprint as you. Then we talked about how everybody has a unique eye print and, and, and how that nobody has eyes like yours. And then we talked about how that everybody had a, has a unique soul print, which is our DNA. So, you know, you are genuinely unique, and what makes you unique is also what makes you powerful. And we have to learn how to embrace our uniqueness and, and, and not look at it as a weakness. And, and, and so God created this with all of these unique features because you are somebody extremely important and valuable to Him. You know, the Bible says He knows the hairs that are upon our head, or the lack thereof. But, but you know, he, he, He's got a lot invested in you. He put a lot of thought and intent in you. So we talked about the uniqueness of the soul. Then we talked about the development of the soul. We said that the soul is developed basically in three different stages in life. We talked about the childhood stage. You know, in the childhood stage, uh, basically childhood is a learning experience. It's not enough for a child to understand something. The child wants to smell it. It wants to eat it. It wants to touch it, you know. That that's why it puts paper in its mouth, you know. That's why they grab the dirt and try to eat. There must be something good in the dirt. Fifty percent of everything that we learn in life, we learn by the age of five. By the age of five, and so our our soul is being developed during that stage. Then we talked about the youth stage. Now, the youth stage is what we call the the mirror phase. It's when we're introduced to the mirror. And what I mean by that is it's during this stage that we become more self-conscious about ourselves. We become more and more concerned about our appearance and what other people think about us. So it's, it's developed in that stage. And then the adult stage is when we take all of our life's experiences... And we form what we call a self-image and then we attempt to live out that self-image that we have created or we've allowed the things that have happened to us to create this image. The problem is that when we go through life, we're going to experience some very bad things. It can mar the image that God has created you in and we can defile it. We uh, We can do so many things that that uh, will cause us to be confused and, and not necessarily have a sense of identity. And if you do not have a sense of identity, you will spend the rest of your life pretending to be somebody that you were never created to be. You know, you weren't created to live a lie. Every sin that's ever been committed was the result of believing a lie. And so what happens is, if we don't know who we are, if we're not transparent and honest, we don't embrace our own uniqueness, then we begin to take on a, an image that is not who we really and truly are. And then we talked about the discovery of the soul, and, and the discovery of the soul is the place where we discover our value and our self-worth in the person that God created for us to be. So I think that's very foundational. I think that's extremely important. I think it's something that, that we need to examine our lives and, and ask ourselves, are, are we really living a lie? You know, do, do we really have uh, the kind of relationship with God that we, we say that we have? Or are we living this, this image of what we want people to think that we are? And so today, I want to talk about being God's image-bearer. And what I mean by God's image-bearer, God, the Bible says, has an image. God created man in his image and after his likeness. The apostle Paul wrote in the book of Colossians that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. So from the beginning of time, from the start of creation, it was always God's intent for man to bear his image in the earth. It was always God's intention for each of us to be a reflection and a representative of God. Now, if, if the, the, the image of God is marred in our life, whether it's because of, of what we've done to ourselves through rebellion, through immorality, through uh, sinfulness, or whether it's something that happened to us that we're victims of, things that we didn't have control of, if that image of God is marred in our life, we will not be able to fully represent who God is in the earth. You are God's representative. So that's what we're going to focus on today. That's what we're going to talk about today. But in Psalms chapter 139, we're going to read starting at verse number 14. I won't read all of these. But he says, For you were formed my inward parts. This is verse 13. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's kind of the key verse to this sermon series, so fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. Father, I ask today that you would help me to share only that which you want to say. Lord, I have nothing to to offer your people other than what you have spoken to me, so help me to communicate it in a way that's understanding. And I ask, Lord, that you would breathe life into it, that your anointing would be upon me and upon us, And that God, you would speak to us that we can leave here today and say, surely we've heard from God. I pray, Lord, that you would confirm your word with signs following. Do a work in our heart. Help us to embrace the uniqueness in which, God, you created us. That we may walk in the fulfillment of the destiny that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. An image bearer of God. What does it mean to be an image bearer? Of God, You know, an image bearer, what I mean by that is that God has created you. We read this and we've read it before in the book of Genesis. That God created man in his image and after his likeness. God's intention was for every person that he's created to be a reflection and a representation of God in the earth. You are to be a reflection of God. You are to be a reflection or, and a representation of God to others, to, to the world. But the devil knows this. And if you are a child of God, because he can't rob you from that, that he will do everything that he can to distort that image that God created you in in such a way that you cannot properly relate to God or the world can't properly re- relate to God in a way in which he originally intended you know, you know, being able to say that I love God, we were talking about this earlier, or that God loves me, or God loves you. It's one thing, again, to mentally acknowledge that theologically. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe that God loves me. A lot of people will say, I believe God loves me, but they don't believe that God actually likes them, much less enjoys them, much less takes pleasure in them. And the problem is because none of us are perfect at some point in time, whether it be a parent or a coach or a teacher or whoever it may be, they are going to be a misrepresentation of God, and it will end up wounding us. It will end up hurting us. It will end up damaging us. And it will ultimately end up distorting our view of who God is. Now, it's important that, that when we consider this, that we have the right view of who God is. But most of what we do in terms of our view of God comes out of our experiences. We talked about that. I mentioned that earlier just in the introduction about how in the childhood stage and in the youth stage and then in the adult stage what happens is we form this self-image. And once we form this self-image, we attempt to live out that self-image every day of our life, whether we recognize or have a sense of identity or a sense of destiny in our lives or not. We will project this image, and this image is something that we want other people to see. God is wanting to expose this image that we've put in front of Him and in front of others, and He wants us to embrace the image in which we were Created in Paul said that Jesus was the image of the invisible God So I want to give you three things concerning our self-image that I believe it's very very important if you've got your outline I don't necessarily feel like I want to be all preachy today because I want you to get this I want you to be able to hear what I'm saying and walk out of here this morning Embracing the truth that God is speaking to you on a personal level I know where you are I know how you feel. I understand what it's like to struggle. And the truth is, church is the the easiest place in the world to pretend that you've got things all together when really things are actually just falling apart. But the first thing I want to share with you when it comes, you can go ahead and throw that up if it's it's working. The first thing that I I want to share with you is our self-image determines the way that we view God. Our self-image determines the way that we view God. You know, I've said it again. I'll, I'll repeat it until the day that I die. The most damaging thing to the human soul is having a distorted view of God. And why that is so damaging is because we project this image, we've got a self-image of what we believe God is like. And we base what God is like on the events and the experiences that we've had as an individual, whether they're good or whether they are, are bad. And so our view of God affects every single area of our lives. There's not one part of our life that our view of God doesn't affect us, whether it's negatively or positively. As a matter of fact, you know, what happens is when we develop our self-image based upon what we've been through, whether it's heartbreak, whether it's disappointment, whether it's rejection, whether it's abandonment, whether it's abuse, whatever it may be, what happens is if we do not have a proper view of God, the self-image that we've created of ourself about God it becomes the lens that we filter every other experience that we have in life and with God. Now, that's, that's important. Now, when we have a self-image that is distorted... Uh, it distorts our view of God. It becomes the filter. As it filters, we filter what we read in the Bible through this lens, through this self-image. You can hear truth, but, want, but when you receive it, it's, it becomes a little distorted. For example, if you're looking at a window that has a red tint to it. You know, the sky could be blue. It might be crystal clear, but once it's filtered through that that red glass, everything is going to appear to be a different shade than what it originally appears to be. You understand what I'm saying? And so when you filter your view of God through a self-image that ultimately is distorted, there's serious, serious consequences that come in terms of our relationship with God. Because our self-image determines so much of our life. Our self-image determines how we think. Our self-image determines what we say and what we speak. Our self-image determines how we process our past. And our self-image determines how we anticipate our future. But for better or for worse, the way that we view God will ultimately develop into a pattern of thinking. Are you with me? You know, for better or for worse... Our self-image will ultimately, in our view of God, will ultimately come into the place where it is a pattern of thought. Now, thoughts are extremely important and thoughts are extremely powerful because thoughts are the doorway to emotions, And emotions are important because emotions are sent and given to us by God as servants. Emotions are wonderful servants, but they're terrible masters. So many people are driven by their emotions instead of allowing their emotions to be expressed in a healthy way. You know, when emotions are unhealthy, anger turns into rage. Sadness turns into Depression, you know, it's magnified. Our emotions are are magnified. If we have a wrong view of God, ultimately our emotions will become out of control. I mean, I wonder how many of you are not just emotional people, but how many of you have allowed your emotions to get the best of you this week? If we put your life up, you know, the past seven days up on this screen, how many of you would be embarrassed of, of how you've allowed your emotions to get the best of you? I mean, it's important that that we are able to harness our emotions and allow these emotions to serve us. But for better or for worse, it will ultimately develop a pattern of thinking. Now, when our emotions are fully alive, with the feeling of being loved by God, there's nothing more satisfying in life than that. When you come alive in in an emotional way, and in deeply... Personal way and you experience the love that God has for you just to a small degree, it changes your life forever. When your emotions are fully alive with the feeling of being loved by God, the temptations of the devil have no power over you. But when your emotions are dead, when your emotions are suppressed, when your emotions are are passive, what happens is you become extremely vulnerable to the temptation and the attacks of the devil. Because when you are fully alive on a, on a personal level, with your emotions engaged, your mind engaged, your heart engaged, with everything within you, listen, you will find out that only God can satisfy your greatest need. He designed you that way. He created you with certain longings that can only be fulfilled in Him. And when we don't find ourselves being satisfied with God, we end up committing sin. All sin is, is our dissatisfaction with God. When you are dissatisfied with God, you will turn yourself over to counterfeit affections. You will turn yourself over to counterfeit pleasures. Listen, the devil did not create pleasure. God created pleasure. The devil perverted pleasure. And so we have to understand something. When our emotions are, are dull, what we, can, what we originally see pleasure designed to be, all of a sudden looks like that it doesn't have any value or it's, 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 it's not worth anything. So what we try to do is we, we try to satisfy that with something that is sinful and something that is not what God originally intended for us to have. Now, having a positive self-attitude or, or self-image is directly related to how you process your past both negatively and positively. Now, I'm just talking to you this morning as a pastor. Everybody has a past. But if you do not deal with your past, your past is not your past, your past is your present, and then you will project the pain of your past on the person you're with. Why is it that we end up hurting the people that we love the most? It's because we've not dealt with our past. We allow our past to come into our present and we never process it. So whether we process it regardless of how it happens, whether it's negative or positively, if we fail to process it, then we're going to be some consequences as a result of that. Okay? Now here's human nature. Human nature is like this we tend to remember the things that we should forget and forget the things that we should remember. Are you with me? You know, why is it that you can remember every bad thing? Why is it that that you can remember every horrible experience? Why is it that that it's not difficult for you to, to be able to remember all of the things that you had to go through, but yet you forget about all that God has done for you? And so if, if we're going to have a positive self-image or, or a healthy self-image, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to process our past. Every one of us have a past. And how do we process our past? We do it in, in two ways. This is in your outline as well. The first thing we've got to do is that we've got to remember. I said human nature is we tend to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. Look what this verse of Scripture says. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You know, Moses was saying, listen, you need to have a point of reference that what God has done for you, how far God has brought you from what God brought, out, uh, brought you out of. The greatest tragedy in a Christian's life is for them to forget about the condition their life was in before they met Jesus. Listen, if, 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 the, if we don't worship God and if we don't feel like praising God, it's simply because we do not have a heart of gratitude toward God. Quiet in this Baptist Church this morning. And the reason we 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 don't praise God is because we've forgotten where He brought us from and what He's done for us. We forgot the simple song, you know, count your blessings, name them, count your blessings. When's the last time you've counted your blessings? When you have a poor self-image, more negative comes out of your mouth than positive. And that is extremely damaging to you, and it is extremely damaging to the relationships that are in your life. Are you with me? And so we have to remember. Remember where the Lord's brought you from. You know, remembering where God brought us from is the fuel in which love arises in our hearts. You know, I don't want to ever forget the day, June the 8th or June the 7th, 1998. I mean, I'll never be able to forget it. I'll never be able to not remember that because, you know, it was just like yesterday. But my past has not defined me. I'm not, a, I'm not a prisoner of my past, I'm a product of my past. And I choose to live a life of gratitude toward God because if He doesn't do another thing for me, He's already done enough. I can praise Him just for the forgiveness of my sins. The psalmist wrote in, in Psalms 103, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless His holy name, and forget not all of His benefits. Now listen, that word forget there is, is in there for a reason, right? Because we tend to forget what we should remember and we tend to remember what we should forget. So what should you remember? He said, what are these benefits? He forgives my sin. Can anybody praise God on that one? He heals me from all my diseases. Can you praise him on that one? He delivers me. From all my enemies, has anybody ever been delivered? He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Has he ever done that for you? He satisfies my life with good things. You should commit to your memory this week those verses out of Psalms 103. That way you can remind yourself, I've got something to praise God for. He's forgiven me. He's healed me. He's delivered me. He's satisfied me. He's brought me out. But the Bible says in, in Exodus 13 or 19, verse number 4, it says that he bore us out on eagles' wings out of Egypt to bring us to himself. You were created for this relationship. The destination for the children of Israel was not the promised land. The destiny for the children of Israel was God. Did you know that's the same destination for you and I? We're never going to arrive at a destination or our destiny while we're here, but we can arrive to a place in our relationship with God that nothing else matters. That's where God wants to bring us to, so we need to remember. The second thing is if we're going to have a positive self-image, is there's some things that we need to forget. I mean, right now I know under the sound of my voice there's a whole bunch of you that are carrying a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a a lot of rejection, a lot of abandonment. You're carrying a lot of your past in your present, and then you're pretending as if it's not there. You know, lying to yourself is still lying. And even though you've heard that he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, That he buries them in the sea of forgetfulness. He pardons us. That he cleanses us. Old things pass away and all things become new. Even though you can quote that, it's not a living reality in your life. Why? Self-image. You've spoke word curses over your life. Over your children, over your business, over your future because you allowed a disappointing moment or even a disappointing season to determine your destiny. So you give yourself a a self-fulfilled prophecy that says, it's never going to happen for me. It's not going to happen for me. God can do that for other people. He, He won't do that. For me, I mean, some of you, lit. that is your mindset. I mean, you don't want to admit it or acknowledge it, but that's kind of your mindset. And why are you that way? Because you've allowed your past to define your present. So if you're going to have a healthy self-image, then you're going to have to process your past. You're going to have to remember some things. You're going to have to forget some things. Here's a good assignment for you. Since you're so good at remembering the things that you should forget, why don't you write those down? Write them down. And then one by one, mark them off your list because I'm not supposed to remember that. He forgives all my sins. He he, old things pass away, all things become new. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I'm purchased with the We know these things, but yet mentally, and again, in our mind is where we begin to rationalize. It's where we begin to process thoughts, and the problem with thoughts are if we have the wrong ones, they become the doorways to emotions, and once those thoughts enter into the realm of the emotion, we self-destruct. Anybody ever been there? you ever say things like, I don't know what makes me do that? Because you're remembering some things that you should forget. You're forgetting some things that you need to remember. You can't let those things define you. So the way that we come to the place where we have a positive self-image is we forget some things, we remember some things. So the first thing our self-image uh, self, uh, uh, determines is how we view God. Here's the second thing. Second thing that our self-image determines is the way that we view ourselves. Now, I hope that I can communicate this to you the way that I received it from the Lord. Because it was exciting. Are you excited? Let your face know it. But I already mentioned that it was God's intention from the beginning for us to be a reflection of and a representation of God in the earth, right? And in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That word image means outward appearance. The word likeness means inward nature. In other words, there should be an outward appearance that is a reflection of God. Am I saying God looks like you and I? No, but I'm just saying that I don't believe it's a coincidence that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. There's something about the human race that is a reflection of God. You know, that's why every life is valuable and important. Even unborn babies are valuable and important. Why? Because they were created in the image and in the likeness of God, even though they may not have lived a day outside the womb. So we were created in the image and the likeness. We were to have an outward appearance. We were also to have an inward likeness. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, I want you to get this. It says, Then God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You know what that verse actually means in, in the original Hebrew is this When God breathed into Adam the breath of life, an explosion took place. God didn't just breathe a puff of air. God actually imparted himself into man in order to fashion him and form him in his image and after his likeness. You know, it wasn't just like God was going, that that was not a big deal. God was saying, I'm going to impart myself into man so that they can be a reflection of who I am in the earth. And so and man become a living soul. When God breathed into Adam, this is what happened. When God breathed into Adam, that piece of clay that was formed from the dust of the earth was gloriously transformed into the image and likeness of God by God himself. Now, you're thinking, well, that's Genesis. Well, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says that before I... Formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. Who formed you? Talk to me. Who formed you? No, not just God. The same God we read about in Genesis 1. The same creator God. The same God that the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The same God that said and it was, and said, and it was. The same God that gave life to Adam is the same God that has molded you, shaped you, formed you into the image of himself because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why there's no such thing as an insignificant person. There is no such thing as an insignificant. Every person, saved or lost, has value. Every person God has created has worth and value. Every person God has created, He has formed, He has fashioned, He is molded, He is shaped into His image. Saved or not, they are a representation to God. Whether it's good or bad. That's why every life matters. There's no such thing as an insignificant person. You know, the Bible says that we are God's workmanship, we are God's masterpiece. So you're thinking, well, God breathed into Adam and man became a living soul. God imparted himself. Well, what does that got to do with me? This is thousands of years later. Well, you know what the Bible says in John chapter 22. It says that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he came and he was with his disciples, and the Bible says he breathed on them, and they received the Spirit. You know, the same word for breathe in Genesis 1 is the same word for breathe in John chapter 22. So what happened? The same breath that exploded and resulted in the impartation of God into Adam is the same breath that exploded and imparted imparted into each of us the life of God inside of us, and we become more and better than what we really were. And the other thing that's significant, when God breathed into man, he initiated, listen to this, a love relationship with man that he was never willing to give up on. All the way back in Genesis, he breathed into man because we know that Adam was created by God to have Fellowship to be in relationship with God. And the breath that God breathed into Adam was the initiation of a relationship that was simply saying to creation, there's never a time that I don't intend for you to be with me forever. That's why everybody has an eternal destiny. Do you know that? Every one of us have an eternal destiny. There will never be a moment when you cease to exist forever. But eternity only gives us two alternatives, heaven or hell. You will either live eternally in eternity with God, or you will live eternally or in eternity separated from God. But there'll never be a moment when you'll ever die. Physically, yes. Spiritually, no. Why? Because the spirit that God has put into man is eternal. You have an eternal destiny. There is importance and significance. Hell was never created for you and I. Hell was never created for us. It was created for the devil and all of his angels that rebelled against God. Hell's not your destiny. Heaven is. But yet, within ourselves, we find ourselves rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. Why? Because we're afraid if we give our life to Jesus, we'll miss out on something. If I give my life to Jesus, then I'll have to give this up. If I give my life to Jesus, then I'll have to stop doing this. If I give my life to Jesus, I won't be able to cuss anymore. If I give my life to Jesus, I'll have to stop fornicating. If I give my life to Jesus, I'll have to stop drinking. Is that worth spending eternity separated from God forever? You know, the Bible said that John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp. There are burning and shining lamps in heaven. And the truth is, you were created to burn. And you will burn forever somewhere. But your eternal destiny is not a question. So God breathed into man himself. He established this love relationship. And his love is so fierce and so powerful that it won't fail. He loves you with an everlasting love. Now, Let's look at this for a moment. Go ahead and go to the next one. I want to give you four inner needs that are universal for every person. If these inner needs are not met in your life, they will have devastating effects on you and your relationships. Okay? You with me? Here's the first one. Every person is born with a sense of needing to belong. Okay? When that feeling is missing from a person when that sense of belonging is missing from a person what happens is that person begins to feel insecure the church is full and in this church as well of insecure people and insecure people are easily threatened by other people people that are insecure will see people as competition. They'll view people as an enemy, as a threat. If, 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 if they get too close or if something happens in their life, if, if they're blessed and, 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 and the blessing you've been praying for doesn't happen, you see people as a threat. Insecurity, the, the, you know, King Saul was the most insecure leader in all of, nation, uh, of the nation of Israel's history. Saul was the king, David goes and kills Goliath, he's fighting wars, he comes back, and all of a sudden the women are singing a song. And they're singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David's his ten thousands. And because they were giving more acclimates to to David than they were, Saul, he was threatened by that. He saw David as somebody better than him, though he was the king. Saul was the king without the anointing, and David had the anointing without the throne. Because the throne was never David's destiny. God was David's destiny. So he could have God anywhere he wanted to if he was in a cave, if he's being pursued by his enemies, if he was in the wilderness, if he, if he, if he had to use a rock for his pillow... The throne was never what he was after. People that are insecure are after the throne. They're after the position. They're after the title. Why? Because they want to project an image of importance. And titles make people feel important for some reason. All titles do is actually give you more responsibility. But insecure people find their identity in that title and position. And if you don't have a sense of belonging, you will be an insecure person because you don't feel like that you are good enough. Here's the next one. The the next inner need is this. Everybody has a need to feel a sense of value or worth. If that sense of value or worth is missing in a person's life, they will ultimately feel inferior. In other words, they're easily intimidated by the success of others. In other words, if somebody is better than them at something, that automatically communicates that they don't have any value or worth. If they have a gift and somebody has a gift and they're more talented or they're better with that gift than the other person is, They simply think that, you know what, I have less value than that person. You know what, I've got five children, and all of them are unique. All of them have their own personalities, and you know what, I wouldn't give any of them for you. I'm going to keep them all. Why? Because they're mine. They're they're, they're my children, and you're God's children. so, So when you don't have a sense of worth... You feel inferior. Now, here's the thing. I love Eleanor Roosevelt said. Nobody has the ability to make you feel inferior without your permission. For you to feel inferior, you have to give permission to somebody else to make you feel the way you do. Well, I don't give you the permission to make me feel bad. I know people are smarter than I am. I know people are more gifted than I am. I know that there's people that can preach better than I am. But you know what? I don't care. I'm not trying to be them. I'm trying to be me. And what happens is when you have this inferiority in your life, the potential of what you're destined to become never comes to pass. Why? Because you're intimidated. Because you're comparing yourself to others. The Bible says they that compare themselves to to others are not wise. Here's the third thing. third thing is to have a sense of competence. The word competence means the ability to do something successfully or efficiently. Every person has a need to feel that they have the ability or the skill to do their job or fulfill their purpose successfully. When you do not have that sense of competence, you feel inadequate. Now... I struggled with that one big time. Because four months after I got saved, God's calling me to preach. And I'm thinking, I don't even know the Bible. I'm still cussing. I've relapsed. Because, I mean, again, when, when you accept your call to preach, it's not like you can just kind of get up there and try it out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I knew when I said I was called to preach, I have reached a point of no return. Because either you're called or you're not. But finally, when I reached a place where I accept that I was called, I still did not feel like I was prepared or adequate. I still don't right now. But that doesn't define me. I just believe that God will overcome whatever deficiencies in my life. I've embraced my weakness because in my weakness, His strength is made Listen, feeling inadequate will keep you humble if you don't let it define your identity. Don't allow your lack of ability or your, your, your lack of skill to keep you from stepping out and doing what God's called you to do. I mean, I would say 75% or, or more of you God has spoke to you or is speaking to you about doing something, but you are absolutely terrified to step out and step into what God's calling you to do. Why? Because you don't feel like you are adequate. You don't feel like you have what it takes. You know what the Bible says the Bible says that you didn't choose God, God chose you. And he didn't choose you for what you had to offer him. He chose you for what he had to offer you. And so listen, God doesn't need your wisdom. He's all wisdom. God doesn't need your ability, he needs your availability. And listen, when you feel like that you're inadequate, all you've got to do is say, God, I'm available. Compensate for my inadequacy. But what happens is this, when you don't have a positive self-image, when you don't have a sense of identity, it will keep you paralyzed. Every single one of you have got untapped potential inside you that you will never see happen or come to pass in your life because you are terrified of failure. I fear God more than I feel failure. I have failed a million times. I am a professional failure. How many times have you failed? What are you afraid of? What somebody else thinks? When you have that kind of self-image, it affects what God's called you to do. Timothy, listen, you know what? He felt that way. And Paul said to Timothy, he said, God's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self He said, therefore, stir up the gift of God that's within you. Well, what was holding the gift of God inside of him? He was afraid. When you feel inadequate, you feel afraid. And when you don't have a sense of identity, you exalt what somebody else thinks above what God thinks. God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Being faithful is a success. Let's go to the next one. I'm going to wrap it up. Next one is a sense of purpose. Every person needs to feel that like their life has purpose and meaning. And if that is missing in their life, they feel insignificant. I'm wondering, out of those four things that I mentioned right there, how many of them apply to your life? And if those apply to your life, then why am I bringing it up today? Or could it be that God just wants to address that? Could it be that God wants to set you free from that? So listen, our self-image can do a lot of damage. It affects the way that we view God, it affects the way it views ourselves, and here's the last thing. And then come to music. It affects the way that we view others. Our self image determines what you see and it determines how you see others. I've noticed that people that have a poor self image tend to expect the worst in life. They're typically drawn to the most negative and critical people. It's called the law of magnetism. Who you are determines what you attract. So who is around you is a good reflection of the person that you are. The problem is most of us don't like who we are. We want to change, but... We're afraid. But our self-image determines how we see others. But people that have a positive self-image, they typically expect the best out of people. You know, I've had people say to me before, they say, Donald, why don't you just give up on that person? You know, I've had people say, "You, you always believe in the best in people. That's exactly right. You know why? Because I remember what kind of person I was before I got saved. And if God can do for me what He's done for me, what He's done for me, He can do for you. Tim Wilmer has an incredible testimony. He just celebrated four years, three years. Four years of not just being saved, but being sober. And four years of sobriety is a big deal when you experienced 40 years of addiction previously. He's not the same guy he used to be. You know what else Tim Wilmer did this year? He read through the Bible in a year. Read through the Bible. And I remember him sitting down and talking to me and saying, You know what, Donald? there was a day that I prayed that the Lord kill me and take me out of here because I didn't want to live anymore but God is an expert turning crucifixions into resurrections so I don't see Tim as who he used to be I see Tim for what he's going to be and he may not be everything that he's going to be but he's sure not what he used to be and neither you having a positive self image helps you to see the best in people imagine if we were a church that expected the best out of ourselves and the best out of each other imagine if we were a church that believed in one another that encouraged one another imagine if that was the culture of our church where well, you couldn't beat the people away they would, they would flock by the hundreds and even the thousands why? because they have an inner need that can't be met and you know what? They've not seen very much of a good representation or reflection of God in the earth. You know why? Because the sons and the daughters of God are not walking in the image bearing that God intended for them to walk in. So we're too busy focused on ourselves. You know, I heard one man say, you know what, you don't clean up to take a bath. But yet that's what we do when it comes to stepping into what God's called us to do. You know, Jesus taught an unforgettable lesson the night before he was betrayed and crucified. And it was a lesson about loving people. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you would want to spend your last meal with so-called friends that you knew ahead of time we're going to betray you and abandon you and forsake you at the moment you needed them the most. Are those the kinds of people that you would want to spend your last meal with? Probably not, but it was who Jesus spent his last meal with. You know why? Because Jesus is communicating to his disciples my love and commitment to you is not determined by your ability to do good. My love for you is not determined by your present behavior because you're more than this. You're better than this. You're bigger than this. This might be a week moment for you, but you know what? This is not going to define or change who you are in my eyes. He didn't just see them for what they were. He saw them for what they could be, what they were going to be. And according to Acts chapter 17, those same men that denied Jesus, abandoned Jesus, forsook Jesus, turned the world upside down. Why? I believe because they encountered the heart of God in such a way that all of their fears, all of their insecurities all of their worries, even the fear of losing their life dissipated because the love that God had for them was so powerful and so fierce. They knew that this world wasn't the end. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, He didn't offer up criticism. He offered up intercession. When you see somebody falling, making a mess, doing wrong... What's your first reaction? Do you criticize? Pray for him. When when he had the right to criticize, he laid down his life. And guess what? He's invited you and I to do the same thing. For greater love has no man than this, than the man that laid down his life for his friends. Your visible love for people is a reflection of your invisible love for God. I can tell... How much you love God by how well you love people. I don't even need to know how much of the Bible you know. You know why? Because the Pharisees knew, they were scholars. Jesus even acknowledged, yeah, I know, you know the scriptures, but you know what? They become the greatest haters of God. Religious people are mean. Jesus said you love your enemies. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But when you have a poor self-image, you want other people to experience the same misery that you're in yourself. And you see their success as your failure. You see their accomplishments as your lack. You see their blessing as your curse. When we can't celebrate people. Now, I know you notice that every time that player or one of our guys get up to preach, I brag on. And I mean it everything in me. And I'm doing that intentionally because I want to model for you the kind of culture of honor that we should have for one another. When you don't honor people, it's because you don't value them. And if you don't value people, the reason you don't value people is because you don't value yourself. I'm preaching a lot better than your amen. But to change requires you to take a step. Stand with me. What determines the worth or the value of something? You know what determines that? Whatever someone is willing to pay. That's what determines the worth. There may be a market for something that's out there that kind of gives you a, a, a base worth of something. But that's not its real value. Its real value is based upon what somebody would pay for it. You know, I turned 40 last year. My dad bought me a truck. And it was just a plain truck. had no air conditioning. had no bumper. had no radio. It was plain Jane. And he died a year after he bought the vehicle, that, that truck for me. But I drove it for about another five years, and then I ended up getting married. And I thought to myself, well, I better get someone air conditioning. So I got rid of that truck, okay? I traded it in. I got a vehicle. When I turned 40, all of a sudden, this thought come to my mind. Man, I'd do anything if I had that truck right now. And I thought to myself, I wonder if it's still around. So I called the clerk's office, and they still had the van for it. And they searched for that truck by the van and located it in Mercer County. It's a truck I drove when I was a teenager. And so I had some friends in Mercer County. They looked it up. They got me the number to the person that, that owned it. I mean, I didn't know if it was just riddled, if it was totaled, if it even existed. So I called him and I said, my name's Donald, and this was what, my truck at one time. My dad bought it for me. Blah blah, blah. Told him the story. I said, if you would be willing to sell it, I would love to buy it. He said, come get it. So I go, and I paid $2,300 for it. And I cried like a little girl. I cried because I don't have a whole lot to pass down to my children. My children never met my dad. They they don't have any connection with him. The only connection they have with him in a tangible sense is this truck. It doesn't matter too much to them right now, but a day will come where they'll understand why that is important to me. And all of a sudden when that becomes important to me, they see that it will become important to them. So I bought that truck for $2,300. You know what? Money couldn't buy it today. You don't have enough money in your bank account. combined. Why? Because there's some things money can't buy. And so, in Matthew 13, Jesus speaks a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he found the one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, in that parable I want you to notice something. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. You know, a merchant is an expert in expensive jewelry, specifically pearls. He didn't say a tourist. said a merchant. And so this merchant, he, he, He'd gathered valuable pearls before. But all of a sudden, he found a pearl that surpassed every other pearl in value that he had ever seen at this point in his life. And you know what he did? The Bible says he sold everything that he had hauled it back. And if you can get this one thing, you'll never struggle with your self-image again. Jesus is speaking a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Guess who the merchant is? Jesus. Who found a pearl of great price. Guess who that is? And he sold everything that he had. Now, when you question your worth and your self-value and who you are in the eyes of God, all you've got to do is look at the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus gave everything. He said, to me, this is what you are worth. And and the Apostle Peter said, you know what? You weren't redeemed by corruptible things as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. You don't glorify God by having a poor self-image. As a matter of fact, if you want me to be truthfully honest, it's an act of unbelief. Unbelief is not pleasing to God. A God who has need of nothing Die, desire something, and that something is someone, and that someone is you. He's saying, you are valuable to me. I will give up everything. I'll give up heaven. I'll give up my rights. I'll give up my right to be right. I'll give up my right to be who I am, and I will live as you, die for you, shed my blood for you, Because that's how valuable you are to me. And you know what? You're sitting back there and you're thinking, man, that's just too good to be true. Don't let unbelief control your life any longer. Either the Bible is true or not. If that's not true, let's pack up and get out of here and never come back again. But if that's true, receive it. Allow God to make that real to you. Allow the price that he paid to purchase you to determine your value, not others. He died for you. He loves you. You were created for more than this. Not to exist, to live. Let's pray, Father. I did the best that I could. Shared with what I thought you wanted me to share. But I can't convince your people of your love for them. But you said the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, I pray right now for every person here that has poor self that has poor self-esteem, that struggles with insecurity, that struggles being uh, with inferiority, that that struggles with an image, that that struggles with a sense of worth and a sense of value. I'm just going to say this, isn't it? If that pertains to you, I want you to just get out of your seat and come. If the Lord's speaking to you, if if that's something you struggle with, I want you just to come. I just want to pray for you.